What's up everyone? Welcome back. It's been a solid 15 days. This is WFS, the Will Ford Show. I am not gone. I am still here. I am grinding. I am trying my best. It's been a long time since I have gotten an episode out. It's just this college life, man. College kicks your butt. And I've been busy doing so much uh, assignment-wise. I'm actually on, well, I'm not officially a part of the staff, but I am a trainee uh, for our media organization at Muskingum University, Orbit Media. And I'm loving it. It's absolutely incredible. I've gotten to call two of our college football games, um, one women's soccer game. I've got to do sideline reporting for a football game, which is really cool. And there's just so many great opportunities, and so I've been very consumed by that and with the other schoolwork that I've had to do that, you know, I just haven't done a great job of of working to try to push content out to you guys. So hopefully there are still some loyal listeners out there who haven't, uh, you know, put me to the side because I haven't put it, I haven't put anything out in a while. So yeah, this is episode 38. Finally, it seems like I should have been through a lot more and I should have been, but we're on episode 38. We're two away from 40. So we're just going to keep pushing for new milestones. So let's jump into it. It is October 23rd, which means NFL is obviously hitting the middle of the season. Uh, It's the World Series in Major League Baseball. And the NBA season, it's finally here. The NBA is back. It's it's very much in its birth right now. You know, it's only a couple days. Uh, about a week or so old, only a couple games have been played by by most teams. So we're going to start there with some some NBA. Um, obviously, the big story of the NBA this season, the big narrative is LeBron James in Los Angeles and how that's going to work and what that does for that team, that city, his brand, his legacy. But... Here's something we know about the NBA. There's there's 15 teams in the league pretty much every season that we know has no shot of winning a title. That's half the league. It's 30 teams in the league. 15 of them have no shot every year. I can You can name them. Uh, the Mavericks, uh, Memphis Grizzlies, Sacramento, um, Phoenix. Phoenix is a couple years away. They have some really good young pieces, but... You know they're not they're not there yet. Uh, you know it, there's just like half the league we know has no shot of of winning a championship. Charlotte, uh, Brooklyn, the Knicks, so many teams, half the league. And there are certain teams in the league that we we know what they're about. You know Boston is a blue collar blue chip city. They're about winning. They've been about winning the last few years. They're a really good team. Golden State, they're about titles, dynasty. You know, Phoenix, they're about, you know, getting young players and building up their team. Philadelphia is the process. 
with the Lakers, it's all about it's for them. It's been about trying to reestablish Showtime, which it looks like that could happen in in, in short in you know, in a very short time. And and Houston has got a ton of star power, and they've got big names, and we know what some of these teams are about. But the like I said, the Lakers, we know they're about trying to reestablish Showtime. But we really don't know what they are currently. We know what they're trying to do, but we don't know what they are doing right now. We don't know what they are. We know they have LeBron, the best player in the world. They have some really nice young players. Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, I really like. I think he's really underrated. They've got some nice young players. They just drafted Mo Wagner out of Michigan. We'll see how, how much he plays. And then they signed some veterans during the offseason that are they're scrappy, tough, gritty, grinded-out veterans. Rajon Rondo, Michael Beasley, JaVale McGee. Even Contavious Caldwell-Pope is a little bit like that. And so we don't really know what they are because they have some – some veteran players that are still very good. They're not just guys that are just, you know, role players. These guys are important players. Lance Stevenson. I didn't even mention Lance Stevenson. They've got some important guys that are more than just role players. And so it's hard for us to figure out whether or not they're trying to go young with this young core they have surrounded around LeBron, or if they're going to want to play those veterans. Because we know Rondo is... One of the best pure points in the league. Uh, Lance Stevenson is a juggernaut off the bench, bench offensively and defensively. JaVale McGee is all about rim protection, grit in the paint, energy. And, and Michael Beasley is also a scoring juggernaut off the bench. So we don't know if they're going to want to field those veterans out there and be an older team and be about leadership. Or if they're going to want to play the young guys and develop the team they have. We don't know. Right now, they're off to an 0-3 start. Now, usually, you know, it's an 82-game season. So, I, I'm not too concerned about the Lakers. I think they're going to be a playoff team. Any team with LeBron on it, I think, has a 99% chance of making the playoffs. I mean, this team won 30 games last year without LeBron in the tough Western Conference. They've got to win at least 45 games. I think I projected them around in the low 50s, low to mid 50s. I think I said 52, if I'm not mistaken. I still think this team is going to be really good. It's just going to take some time for them to figure out who they're going to be and for us to figure out who they are. It's going to take LeBron about 20 games to, to really gel with these guys and really start winning winning I mean this is what happened with the Miami Heat he teamed up with Bosch and Wade and gosh through the first 30 games they were hovering around 500 and they made the finals that year granted they lost but they made the finals now I'm not saying that the Lakers this year are going to make the finals I I don't foresee that with a, a Houston team that's still really good Oklahoma City is going to be good. Golden State, obviously, is going to be good. And when they get Boogie Cousins, watch out. But 
we don't know what the Lakers are going to be yet, but I don't want people to panic and and see this 0-3 and, and think, oh, this is this is what happened. LeBron's coming here and he's focused about his you know extracurriculars off the court, his movie career, his Hollywood career. Just relax. Just pump the brakes. LeBron's still the best player in the world. This team is going to figure it out. It takes time when you add a superstar and add a bunch of veterans to your team. Now, as far as the NBA season goes, obviously it's it's uh, very short-lived as of right now. So we don't really have a feel for you know what teams are legit. We have we know obvi- the obvious teams like the Celtics, Warriors, uh, the Rockets. And teams like that, but it's still going to take a little bit of time to figure out who's going to be good and who's not. Right now, my finals prediction, just early on, way too early prediction. Obviously, the Warriors in the Western Conference. Uh, I think you're high if you're not putting the Warriors uh, in the in the finals. And then Eastern Conference, I really like the Celtics. They're getting Kyrie and Gordon Hayward back. They're two best players. Al Horford is an excellent center. He's not flashy. He's not gonna. He's not gonna out muscle people. He's not. He's not a, you know, a flashy guy. But he's very consistent and he's an excellent passer for his size and an excellent shooter. And, and of course, you've got the the young kids, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Marcus Smart. I really like that team. And Celtics, Warriors in the finals. And then this is the year I think the Warriors are finally going to collapse. I think Boogie is gone after this year, obviously. He's just a one-year rental. Durant, I think there's a chance Durant may leave. There's a, there's a chance. But I think the one key piece you need to watch with the Warriors is Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson says he wants to stay, but he's been a a third wheel in Golden State for a few years now. And with Boogie, when Boogie enters the mix in in February, you know, turn of the next year, he could very well be a fourth option. And he said he's satisfied with that, but who knows? Maybe he wants to go play for. You know, another team, maybe go to the the Lakers with LeBron. There, there's been reports on that. We don't know, but as far as my prediction goes, Celtics versus the Warriors, and I really like the Celtics. Like I said, the Warriors. I think this is their fall this year. They've had some issues, locker room issues in the past that were unspoken. So give me a very talented Celtics team that's on the brink of winning a title and really set up for the next five to eight years. All right. So, like I mentioned at the start of the show, you know, we've got a, a trio of, of great things going on in sports. We've got the middle of the NFL season. NBA season has just started. And we have the World Series in the MLB. And we have the Boston Red Sox representing the the American League and the LA Dodgers 
representing the National League. Uh, now, these were the two teams that I thought were were the best heading into the playoffs out of each uh, out of each conference. I really liked the Red Sox. The Red Sox are the clear, clearly the best team, and then the Dodgers. They've kind of surprised me this this playoff season because they've been kind of inconsistent with their pitching and their hitting. They've only had one guy really consistently hitting well. Um, Kershaw's been up and down a little bit as usual in the playoffs. But as far as this this series goes, I really like Boston. I think it's hard not to pick Boston. Um, you know, Red Sox clearly have the better roster. They have they have better pitching. David Price and Chris Sale are great pitchers. Uh, their their fielding is significantly better. They've got much more consistent. Uh, play they've got uh, play on offense to get better bats and and just overall they're just more consistent and as far as the Dodgers what they need to do to win this series they're going to need Kershaw to be great obviously they're, they're, he's going to have to go seven innings deep in two games he's going to have to play twice and and they're gonna, the, the Dodgers are going to have to extend this series somehow because I think the Red Sox it, it could potent, they could potentially just dominate this series. And another thing for the Dodgers, they've got to get more consistent play out of their bats. Their offensive production is just it's got to be more than just Manny Machado. Manny Machado has had an excellent an excellent postseason hitting the ball. And if they can get guys like Yasel Puig going and Justin Turner and, and some other guys, they have a shot. And if they can keep up with the uh, the defensive production with, with pitching, then this could be a series, but I really like the Red Sox. Game one is tonight, uh, 8 o'clock, obviously in Boston. And then game two would be tomorrow in Boston. And then we would have a day break and go to Los Angeles for two games. And then you know the rest from there. But I really like the Red Sox in this one. I, this just, like, you have this team every year, pretty much in any sport. Every sport, every major sport, baseball, football, basketball, you just have this team. Like, it just has that feel, you know, that they're just, they're going to win it all. And the Red Sox won over 100 games. And they just have this feel that they're going to win it all. And I really believe they do. Or believe they will. Excuse me. And then obviously in the NBA, we have this feel with the Warriors every year. That they're going to win it every year. And then the NFL last year, when it came around to the playoffs... The Eagles were without Carson Wentz, but for some reason, they kept winning. And you just had this feel that they weren't going to stop winning. They were going to win the whole thing, and they did. And they knocked off the GOAT, Tom Brady. Like You just have this feel with teams every year, and I really feel like this is Boston's year to reclaim the World Series championship.
All right. I want to shift gears to the NFL because we're obviously in in full swing. Um, we're approaching week eight. And we've got some big news uh, circulating. This is we're approaching the the trade deadline, and we've had one big tr- we've had two trades in the last two days. One a pretty big one. Another one is somewhat significant. Um, but obviously we'll, we'll do the small one first because it is less significant, and I don't really want to spend too much time on it. But the Giants traded their former first round pick. In 2016, Eli Apple, cornerback to the New Orleans Saints. Um, there was no reports on the compensation, but I would assume it was for a pick, probably a sixth rounder, something like that. Uh, but I do like that move for the Saints. Uh, the Saints have, they're one of the best teams in the league at stopping the run. And so that leaves them vulnerable in the passing game. And so getting Eli Apple, he's not a star, but he's a solid corner, and he he can sure up that secondary. And Eli's a former Buckeye, and it's actually kind of funny because the Saints' secondary is made up of mostly Ohio State Buckeyes. They've got Marshawn Lattimore, who they drafted last year, Vaughn Bell, I believe they drafted last year or the year before, and now they've got... Eli Apple, so they've got a all Buckeyes secondary, so that's kind of cool. But I really do like the move for for the Saints, and as far as the Giants go, they're they have no plans to win this year. They're one and six. They're just they're done, and they're just trying to get draft compensation for some of their decent players, and just trying to rebuild. Um, but the big trade I wanted to talk about was between the Cowboys and the Raiders. The Raiders have been shopping their players all season. Uh, they traded Khalil Mack to the Bears, as you know, for it was like four or five picks, two firsts, a, uh, a third and a fifth, I think. Um, and then they put Amari Cooper on the trade block. Um, there's reports that Derek Carr could possibly be on the trade block. Uh, but the Cowboys, they are in need of some receiver help, and they did pull the trigger on Amari Cooper. And they traded a first-round pick for 2019 to the Raiders for Cooper. And there was just a huge uproar uh, after this. Like, why would the Cowboys trade a first-rounder for Cooper? He's not worth more than a than a third or a fourth. Um, And I would probably agree. I would probably, me personally, I would give up a third for him. Actually, I'd probably give up a second for Amari Cooper, but you've got to think about it in this sense. You've got to think about the circumstances here. The Cowboys are obviously in need of a number one wide receiver threat. That's been apparent since Des Bryant has fallen off a cliff and is still not on a team. And several teams were interested in Amari Cooper, including the Eagles. The Eagles offered a second-round pick for Amari Cooper. 
Now just think. The Cowboys don't want the Eagles to get Amari Cooper. They don't, they don't want that because that hurts their chances of winning the division. And right now this division is extremely winnable. They're, they're a game back, a game and a half back of the Redskins because they just lost to them on a crushing play. We'll get to that in a little bit. But this division is not out of reach for any team except for the Giants. So with the Eagles wanting to get him, trading a first was almost necessary to make sure that the Eagles didn't get Amari Cooper. And realistically in the draft next year, this this first round of the draft is really loaded um, as far as defensive uh, defensive talents, uh, pass rushers, linebackers. There's some offensive linemen. And the Cowboys don't need offensive linemen. They've got one of the best lines in football. They've taken a step back, but it's still really good. They've got great young linebackers and an excellent veteran linebacker in Sean Lee. And their pass rush is one of the best in the league with Demarcus Lawrence and Tyron Crawford and Gregory and, and Taco Charlton and guys like that. They don't need any of those players. So they were probably going to take a receiver. And the receivers are not... The receivers in this class are not great. There's not that much choice in in terms of top talent. So a first rounder for a 24-year-old wide receiver who is a two-time pro bowler and is a star. Been a little inconsistent over the last year and a half, but... I mean, he's better than any player you would have taken with your first-round pick. Way better than any player you would have taken at that position. And just think he's only 24 years old. That's the same age as Dak and the same age as Zeke. Talk about the birth of three possible triplets. That could be the, the new triplets. Remember Aikman, Emmett, and... Michael Irvin, and now you've got potentially a new big three in Zeke, Dak, and Amari Cooper. Now, I know obviously that's a stretch, but I'm just saying in terms of the talent level, what they have shown previously leads us to believe that they could potentially be really good. But this deal totally makes sense if you're the Cowboys. And it obviously makes sense for the Raiders, too, to get a first-round pick. They've got three first-round picks now for next season, not even including their own. They would have four first-round picks next season for the next draft. It's insane. But as far as the Cowboys go, Amari Cooper doesn't need to be productive for this team. Obviously, it'd be nice to have a lot of catches, a lot of yards, a lot of targets, a lot of touchdowns, and what have you. But he doesn't need to be productive. I believe this move was made to have Amari Cooper attract attention. Amari Cooper is a star receiver. You line him out wide, you're going to have to double cover him because he is... He's got some amazing speed, and he's an excellent route runner. So if you have to double cover Amari Cooper, 
that removes a player from the box playing Zeke. And so if you remove one one player from the box, that's going to allow more room for Zeke, and it's going to be allow more room to get that running game going. Amari Cooper provides a threat, so it's going to make the make the offense more threatening, and it's going to make it more balanced. Remember Dak in his rookie year when he had sufficient weapons, when Dez was still really good but starting to exit his prime and you know Zeke obviously in his rookie year and a healthy offensive line Beasley was really good like they were 13 and 3 they still have a decent O-line Zeke is better now than he was 2 years ago Amari Cooper is better uh now than Dez was 2 years ago now they don't have a, a tight end. They don't have a great receiving threat blocking tight end like Witten was. But there's no reason to believe this team can't be great and produce on offense again. I love this deal for both sides. I think it makes a ton of sense. Now obviously the less you pay for Amari Cooper the better. Obviously you want to pay less. But with the Eagles lurking, you have to give up a first-rounder. Have to. And it's a need. So, all right. Uh, some other trade news. Patrick Peterson, star corner for Arizona, wants out of Arizona, and he wants to be traded to the Saints. Now, the Saints obviously are out on this trade now because they just got Eli Apple. So they're not going to go after Pat Pete. The Saints... I still think the Saints are the favorite in the NFC, but they definitely would have been surefire favorites if they landed Patrick Peterson, who's arguably one of the best corners in the league. You could argue he is the best. Uh, it changes year to year who's the best corner. But the Saints obviously aren't going to get him now. I But I don't, I don't think the Cardinals... I don't think they should trade... Patrick Peterson because he's a player you're going to want to build around. They're literally one or two years away from being a really good team in the NFC. But the thing I do, I am concerned about with the Cardinals is their offensive line. Josh Rosen isn't a very durable player. He kind of reminds me of a Sam Bradford. Got more upside, but he's, he's, He's got the same. He's got a similar um, lack of durability. And so, if you could trade Patrick Peterson for possibly some kind of offensive line talent, doesn't matter which position, is just someone on the offensive line plus a pick. I think that's a win because you need to protect Josh Rosen. But in all honesty, in order to get a you know a good package in return for for Patrick Peterson, teams would have to give up probably their best offensive lineman. Like with the Cowboys, the Cowboys have nice young corners. What they could do with a another good corner 
if the Cardinals called the Cowboys and say, hey, give me Tyron Smith and we'll give you Patrick Peterson and then plus whatever else you have to throw in there, picks and whatever, there's no way the Cowboys are doing that. There's no way they're doing that. So if you're going to trade Patrick Peterson and you get picks for him, you're going to have to use those picks in next year's draft on offensive linemen. That's what you're going to have to do. It's kind of like, like what the Indianapolis Colts did. The Colts, they had a poor offensive line for many years. That's why Andrew Luck was out for like two years. Didn't play. And then this past draft, when they traded back with the Jets and got and acquired several picks, they drafted heavy on offensive line, and now their offensive line is adequate. Andrew Luck's healthy, and Andrew Luck is one of the league leaders in touchdown passes. Coming off of injury. So if the Arizona Cardinals can kind of follow that blueprint, yes, you're sacrificing your best defensive player and probably one of the better defensive players in the league, but your quarterback is the most important position on the field. You've got to protect. You've got. You've got to protect him, and you've got to especially protect him if you know he's got durability issues. Like there's guys in the league you don't necessarily have to worry about in terms of durability. Like Dak is really durable. Derek Carr is really durable. Derek Carr had a broken back and sat out for two weeks and came back. That guy is extremely durable. Russell Wilson has dealt with injuries. Tom Brady seems to never get hurt. And Aaron Rodgers plays through injuries. Drew Brees takes incredible care of his body. If you know you don't have a very durable quarterback, the most important thing you can do is sure up your offensive line. And if you have to trade Pat Pete to do it, then you got to do it. Okay, so as as you guys know, I've been doing some NFL record predictions this year, and I've kind of fallen off because I've been inconsistent with, you know, doing episodes. I haven't gotten one out every week and things like that, and there's been days where I haven't tweeted them to, to make sure they're on record, So, and I completely missed this week's games. So what I'm going to start doing from now on, instead of doing every game, I'm going to pick all primetime games and then maybe one or two other games that I think are really like maybe like America's Game of the Week on Fox and like the 425 game on CBS. Maybe those two games, the, the 425 games, and then the Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night games. And I'll pick those games. So that way we're only doing five instead of doing like 12 games. Easier to keep track. And and so that's what I'm going to do. So Thursday night this week, I believe we have the Dolphins and the Texans. So let me just look up the games we have here.
By the way, fantasy football, I am sucking this year. I'm 2-5 and five in both of my leagues, my family league and in my uh, my school league. 2-5. and five. I've, got, I've got a really good team on paper. Just they don't score any points. It's frustrating. All right. So, yes, Thursday night we have the Dolphins and the Texans both sitting at 4-3. and three. I, I really like the Texans in this one. Yeah, I'll take the Texans. They've, they've been really gritty, and they've won four grinded-out games in a row. They started off 0-3, four in a row. I'll take the Texans. And then I want to predict the Thursday night game now, so that way that's up. But I, I want to try to get another episode out by the end of this week. So I'm going to do the other primetime games plus the 425 games later in the week. And we'll get those out. But for the Thursday night game, Miami versus Houston, I will take Houston to win that game. All right, something I want to talk about real quick. I, I mentioned it, and, and I didn't get to it. Um, the the Redskins-Cowboys game that was on Sunday. It was the 425 game on CBS with Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the call. Uh, there was a, you know just a lot, of, lot that went on at the end of the game. It was a missed field goal, snap infraction, offside. What was it? What? Uh, why was this called? And so I just want to straighten things out. So the possession before, Washington had the ball. Dallas had three timeouts on defense. There's, uh, there's two minutes left in the game, or close to that, uh, under two minutes. First two plays are running plays for Washington, and they don't get much. Dallas burns their first two timeouts. So there's still plenty of time. You just got to get a stop on third down. And presumably you'd have no timeouts. But the third, the third down play, the Redskins pass. Alex Smith doesn't throw it. He can't find anybody. So he takes off running and he gets forced out of bounds. And it's fourth down. So the Cowboys get to save a timeout and they have over a minute to work with. And they have great field position. And they start moving the ball down the field. And you're on the 31-yard line with 12 seconds left. They had just reviewed a, reviewed a play. So you have to snap the ball as soon as they blow the whistle. Spike the ball. Spike the ball in that situation. So that way only a second comes off the clock. You have 11 seconds, one timeout. You can still use the middle of the field. Take a shot at the end zone or just get at least get as close as you can to at least tie the game. But no, the Cowboys, they decided to actually run a play with 12 seconds left. And if you're going to run a play, maybe pass it towards the sideline, towards the boundaries. No. They decided to run the ball from the 31. They only pick up a couple. And they're forced to use their final timeout from, you know, near the 30-yard line. Three seconds left. There's your mistake right there. The Cowboys were playing not to lose. They were playing to tie. 
And then we have the whole snap infraction issue, which I don't think it was a snap infraction. I think it was clearly offside. Regardless, you should make the field goal anyways. You know there's wind. you got to compensate for the wind. It, that field goal would have been good from 47 and it would have been good from 42. But it doesn't matter now because of terrible mismanagement of the clock by Jason Garrett and Scott Linehan. Terrible mismanagement of the clock. And that's one of the many reasons why I think after this season, Jason Garrett will be out in Dallas and Scott Linehan will be out as offensive coordinator. So I just wanted to touch on that. The Cowboys, they play in an aggressive city with an aggressive owner. But they're an extremely passive team. Playing not to lose, playing to tie, not playing to win. Now obviously you don't, if you don't score a touchdown, fine. If you don't score a touchdown on the drive, fine. But at least... Push the ball as far as you can push it. So maybe the field goal is a bit more of a chip shot because 52 is no chippy. But you just got to manage the clock a lot better than that if you're Dallas. And that was a crucial game in the division too because with the division as close as it is, Dallas... Could be leading the division, sitting at four and three, and instead Washington is at four and two, leading the division. Dallas three and four, Eagles three and four, and then the Giants. We don't even care about the Giants. But that leads me in to my next segment: the Ford food chain. Try to do this after every NFL week. Obviously, I haven't done it for two weeks because I just had too much going on. But the Ford food chain, in case you forgot, the top 10 NFL teams, according to me, after week seven. Number 10, the Houston Texans. They started off 0-3. You know, it wasn't a great start for them, but they've won four straight. They didn't they haven't been blowing anybody out, but they're tough, grinded out games. And that just shows me that they are they're a tough team. They're really tough, really gritty. And to win four games like that, three in overtime, that's it's pretty tough to do. Their offensive line worries me, but they've got a solid defense. Deshaun Watson is a bit injured. He's got several issues with, he's, he's got some cracked ribs, a punctured lung, a partially collapsed lung. So there are concerns with his durability at the moment and with that offensive line. But they've just been really gritty and, and just have won games with heart th- these last four weeks. So Texans at 10. Number nine, the Baltimore Ravens. They're first in total defense. Their defense is incredibly good. Yes, they lost to the Saints, but the Saints have a really high-powered offense. And plus, you lost on a fluke-missed field goal by Justin Tucker to tie the game. Extra point attempt. Tucker kicks that ball, and that ball is straight down the middle. 
And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, maybe a gust of wind or something, and that ball just sliced off to the right, and you could just see Tucker was in shock. He was just staring at him, mouth gaping wide open after he missed it. And that was the first missed point after in his career. That's never going to happen again. That's just incredibly bad luck. Uh, Joe Flacco is playing inspired football. He's got adequate weapons with Crabtree and Sneed and John Brown. Alex Collins is actually a good running back. They have a decent offensive line. Their tight ends are good. And like I said, their defense is the best in the league. So Ravens at nine, number eight, the Pittsburgh Steelers. In an ugly way, they're winning their division right now. They're leading their division at four, two, and one. Their offense is extremely explosive, very high-powered, and their defense their defense doesn't get a lot of credit, but they're actually second in the league in sacks. Combine that with, a high, with that high-powered offense and with the added element of Le'Veon Bell returning. Le'Veon Bell is going to return within the next 10 days. So their offense is already high-powered, and then you add a superstar generational talent at running back. That team is going to be even better. Number seven, the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are finally playing good defense again. They're, they've had they had a rough start to the season early on, but their defense is finally playing better. They're getting healthier, and Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen are just the best quarterback and receiver duo in the league. Every game this season. Kirk Cousins and and Thielen have been incredibly good. Thielen has had, had over 100 receiving yards in every single game this season. No other receiver has done that. Thielen is the only receiver in NFL history to start the season off with five straight 100-yard receiving games. And now he's got like six or seven. They're incredibly good. Thielen is up there with one with, with the best receivers in football. Number six, the Carolina Panthers. Listen, man, I was I was kind of skeptical skeptical of, of Cam, you know, these the, the last year or so. But Cam has been a lot more consistent, and I credit that totally to Norv Turner. Norv Turner is just a an offensive guru when it comes to quarterbacks. He's turned he's made quarterbacks more consistent over his whole career. Cam Newton has had two touchdowns in at least two touchdown passes in five straight weeks. He's never done that before. So obviously his consistency has improved, which is great for them. And their team is fourth in the league in rushing. And anytime you have a great rushing attack with a consistent pass attack, your offense is going to be really good. Their front seven defensively is great. And I really like this team. This team is a sleeper in the NFC to make some noise at number six. Number five, the Kansas City Chiefs. This may be a surprise. A lot of a lot of you may have the Chiefs, you know, one or in the in, like at least in the top three. But their defense worries me. We obviously know what their offense is. They they put up 40 points a game. They hung 40 on the Bengals, and the Bengals have a pretty 
okay defense. So we know what their offense is. It's just defensively, they worry me. Now, they, they do force turnovers when they have to. But really, their defense is going to have to drastically improve for me to consider them as a Super Bowl favorite. Because to win a championship, you have to have at least a decent defense. It doesn't have to be great. You know, it doesn't have to be 85 Bears worthy. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It doesn't have to be Legion of Boom. It's just got to be okay and good situationally, which is exactly like the number four team in my forward food chain, the New England Patriots. Defensively, they don't have much star power, but and and they're not great at you know getting teams off the field on third down. But situationally, when teams get to the red zone, they're really really good. Aside from the Chiefs, when you know that was a High-scoring matchup in the 40s for both teams. The Patriots are really good defensively in the red zone. Situationally, fourth quarter, they're super, super good. Sony Michelle is out right now with a knee injury, but by Thanksgiving he should be totally fine week to week right now. And then the big thing for them, I think Josh Gordon is really, really key. To their success. We know what they have with Gronk up the seam. And and as a blocking tight end. And Edelman and, and Brady have been a terrific tandem. But Josh Gordon had his first 100-yard receiving game as a Patriot this season. And I think that's going to be a a continuous thing going forward. I think Josh Gordon is going to become more and more integrated into the offense. He's going to get more and more targets. And I I just really think that this guy is, is a huge piece on the outside for Tom Brady and it allows them to stretch the field a lot more. So the Patriots at four and remember my top four, they are the Super Bowl favorites. They are my Super Bowl favorites. Number three, the Los Angeles Chargers. I, to- I told you guys before the season started, they're, they're my Super Bowl pick in the AFC. Phillip Rivers is playing as good as he has ever played. They're playing tremendous defensively, and that's without their best player, Joey Bosa. So when they get him back in a couple weeks, they're going to have arguably the best defense in football and possibly even the best roster outside of the Rams, maybe even better than the Rams. And then offensively, they have so many weapons with Melvin Gordon, Keenan Allen, Tyrell Williams, Mike Williams. You know, Antonio Gates is legendary. Obviously, he's a bit older now, but still still consistent and, and decent. I just love their roster, and they are still my pick to, to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Number two is my NFC representative for the Super Bowl, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, you know that people kind of overlook the Saints. You know the first couple weeks they they got beat handily by the Tampa Bay Bucks in Week One, and then Week Two they kind of struggled with the Browns, but they haven't lost since Week One. They're five and one. Drew Brees is is as consistent as they come. He's part of the 500 club. An all-time leader in passing yards. 
terrific running back duo in Ingram and Kamara. Michael Thomas has proven to be an elite receiver. And then defensively, they're the best run defense in football. They just added Eli Apple to a somewhat vulnerable secondary. So their secondary is going to be shored up. I love the Saints. I think the Saints are going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And they are my pick. I believe they were my pick preseason to win it all. And then number one, it's the LA Rams, man. They're 7-0. They do everything well. Their coaching outside of New England is the best in the league. Uh, Sean McVay is the best offensive mind. Uh, special teams with Johnny Hecker and, and Greg Zerline, that's probably the best duo in the league. Uh, their coordinators, coaching, special teams, their offense doesn't it doesn't have a weakness. Literally, they have three great receivers, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Brandon uh, Cooks. Todd Gurley right now could be the best best running back in football. Jared Goff has proven that he is one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. Defensively, they have some minor issues. They don't have great pass rushers on the outside, but interior defensive line is spectacular. Linebackers are a little weak. But that is fine because the rest of their defense really masks that. The Rams are just great. They have some injury issues. But they are the best roster in the league. 7-0. They've got a couple tough games coming up. They play the Packers next. So that could be a tough game. But, man, the Rams are just so good. So that rounds out the top 10 teams in the league, the Ford Food Chain. 10 Texans, 9 Ravens, 8 Steelers, 7 Vikings, 6 Panthers, 5 Chiefs, 4 Patriots, 3 Chargers, 2 Saints, and number 1, the Los Angeles Rams. Alright, so that's going to do it for my show this week. Um... I'm going to try my best to, to be as consistent as I can. I, and I actually gave a speech on, on podcasting in my, in my public speaking class in college. And I, and I said that if you're going to do a podcast, you know, consistency is it's probably the most important thing in order to gain followers and, and you know, be good at what you do. And I've kind of lacked in the consistency department of late. So I'm going to try my absolute best to get on that. Uh, it's just tough, you know, with the stuff I'm doing for Orbit Media, plus the other schoolwork, exams. I've got an exam tomorrow in public speaking, which it's not a speech. It's actually written. But, you know, I'm trying. I'm going to I'm gonna get another episode out this weekend. Uh Friday or Saturday, for sure, I'm going to guarantee it. Um, and that's where I'll do the rest of my predictions for the week. I'll probably pick a set day I'm going to do them on. So it might be, it would have to be before Thursday. So maybe I'll start, I'll start doing my podcast on Tuesdays and, and like Fridays. 
and I'll do my predictions for games on Tuesdays. So we'll try to do that and maybe make this a two podcast a week, like two episode a week show. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm going to do my best for you guys. Thank you to all the loyal listeners out there who have not forgotten about me and have stuck with me and have put up with my inconsistency. I thank you guys. But that's the show this week. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at The Will Ford Show. I'm going to try to be more active on Twitter. Yeah, I've got to do a lot more. I'm going to try to really be good at this because this is something I'm passionate about. And I just I love doing this. And it's so great sitting in this chair with this setup and just putting together great content for you guys. I love it. But yeah, make sure you follow the show on Twitter. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Like and comment on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you at the end of this week. It's WFS.